0: Welcome to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kiersa. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get the articles at New Bulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday, and this week, Ethan DeWitt returns to the show. Welcome. Glad to be back. So, it's been busy over at the State House. It looks like they're wrapping up this session, and. Things have not slowed down. It seems like there's been a, like an especially busy session from the first of the year up until uh, th- this week when it, when it's supposed to wrap.
1: Definitely. And I think that's something that you see a lot in the second year. So, you know, uh, legislators are elected in for two years, but the first year is generally kind of consumed by the budget. Uh, and that the budget also becomes a catch-all document where you see all these other priorities make it through. And we saw some of that last year. Um, then when you get to the, the second year, it's an election year, and there's a lot of ideas thrown around. It's kind of a last ditch effort to, to try to revive bills. Um, you, uh, and because there's no budget obligations, it's sort of a free for all for legislation. So it tends to feel a lot busier in this second year.
0: And there's been a lot going on, especially with the post coming out of covid with um, there's all sorts with the presidency changing with Trump no longer in office. So the Democrats now hold more of the federal side of things. So there's been uh, fights from Republicans to make sure that the state doesn't start siding with any of that stuff. But the Democrats are also like excited because and motivated because on the federal side, there's so much uh, power on that end of things, too. Yeah, definitely and i am guessing just just overall I'm not expecting to dive into it at all i'm assuming the uh the the culture the last couple days around the state house has been especially tense around the uh leaking of alito's opinion around roe v wade i'm assuming
1: yeah it has been and there have been attempts and i believe there's continuing to be attempts to uh introduce legislation from Democrats that would codify Roe v. Wade uh, in as many words in in the state. The governor who has um, called himself pro-choice has said that he would sign that in a second uh he has said that he would support that um and that he might make outreach to lawmakers but of course these are republican dominated house uh and senates and they uh, a lot of them have made clear that they're not interested in uh pursuing that as an amendment so they definitely the debate nationally is spilling over but it's worth noting that there's so much also going on that it's hard for any one issue to dominate. But we have seen uh, abortion rights supporters this morning. Uh, as in Thursday morning, there were uh, a, a, a number of them, dozens of them showed up outside of the statehouse uh, and were ca- calling out lawmakers as they were heading in. So definitely uh, there, that is present.
0: Let's move off to stuff that's actually going to be legislated or decided, actually, because we're talking about the legislature in this. It looks like the executive council has approved a a workforce housing grant program. I mean, workforce housing in the state in general right now is horrible. I've had a whole bunch of discussions with Jeff Feingold over the New Hampshire Business Review around this. And um, it's really difficult for the state to compensate for the fact that there's uh the strong desire to get more people into the state because we do have such a labor shortage going on of uh work uh normal age range of people who are in the workforce and we can't get them to come here if they don't have a place to live so i'm guessing this is looking to address some of that problem
1: yeah so the housing uh, buying market and we you and i have talked about this a number of times is uh you know not Well, right now it's, uh, prices are very high, um, but it's, that spills over into the rental market. Uh, It means that rents go up and also means that availability is low. Uh, It's, you know, availability is below 1% in all categories across the state uh, on average. That's not a good position. So this program from the governor would use 100 million dollars in the federal coronavirus relief funds that the state still has some left. Um, would use a, devote 100 million dollars to distributing grants. Um, 60 million dollars of those grants would go towards developers uh, that qualify that apply, and that money would be up to three million dollars per development. Um, and there's a number of other conditions we can talk about, and then. $40 million would go towards cities and towns in some capacity. 30 million of that would be towards cities and towns to incentivize them to, to build new workforce housing. Um, and they would get $10,000 per unit. So cities and towns could apply for that. Uh, and then there's an additional $10 million that would go to um, uh, helping towns and cities demolish uh, existing dilapidated buildings, which is a big problem uh, in some areas, um, so that new developments can can take the place. Uh, and also to help towns and cities to overhaul their zoning uh, provisions, which uh, or zoning regulations, I should say, that uh, can often hamper any uh, good natured efforts to actually increase housing in a a certain municipality. So there's a lot going on with $100 million, but it's also been controversial uh, in the last few weeks. And so it passed this week after uh, uh, some heated debates
0: what was some of the controversy around as it? It a matter of if it was just too vague at the onset
1: yeah that was kind of the, one of the primary thing so the big one of the biggest concerns was that it didn't include any guarantees that this money would go towards affordable housing specifically and the governor and the commissioner of the Department of Business and Economic Affairs Taylor Caswell they said that was intentional they said that they are gearing this towards what they call low to middle income families, but that they don't want to be uh, hamstrung by any any sort of what they would what they call sort of an arbitrary uh, income limit on where the money would go. That didn't go down so well in the executive council. Democrats had already been raising some issues. Affordable housing advocates had raised issues about the lack of of guarantees. But when it came to the council about two weeks ago, um, councilors of both parties were pointing to that and saying, this looks too vague. There's no guardrails, as they put it, no guardrails here to guarantee that this money goes towards families that need it and not just market rate housing or even potentially luxury housing. Now the governor had you know stressed over and over that that was not the intention, um but the council tabled it 2 weeks ago over, over those concerns and over also other concerns that there wasn't enough defined in where the money was going at all. Uh in those 2 weeks Uh, The commissioner, Taylor Caswell, and the governor kind of went back. They added uh, a few more uh, details and they added some affordable uh, affordability requirements. Uh, And that is that proved crucial in getting a five zero vote to table this money into a four to one vote this week. Um, And I can go over some of those. Um, yeah i mean
0: the affordability question is enormous i mean right now if you're looking at so much of the housing market it's only people that are um upper middle or upper class are really able to afford anything that's going on you're either seeing those or you're seeing these big developers that own tons of apartment buildings have like oh we have openings at our facility that's got a ton of people in it already because these very large apartment buildings when i'm And on the and then with zoning alongside with that, if there's going to be more housing built up around the area, it's a lot of work and expense in order to make these happen. It takes time. I mean, it's great. We're going to be having this money going towards it. I mean, but you're talking it it could be a year or two before new developments really can get off the ground.
1: Yeah, so right. And and so I should say that the, the program as amended and as passed, uh Caswell gave a memo in indicating additional requirements um one of those requirements is that if housing developments have 15 or more units so if the proposed development that would benefit from this money is 15 units or more they must also be the recipient of another grant that would also have affordable uh, affordability requirements so there's a number of those there's federal grants and um and and so that would be one requirement and then there'd be a requirement that 20 at least 20 percent of the units in that development would be geared towards families making at or below 80% of the area median income. And so that the rents would be kind of tied to that and at least 20%. The idea there is that the governor and, and uh, the commissioner still didn't want to uh, send the money solely to affordable housing projects, which uh, was you know, a big thing that Democrats were pushing for and affordable housing advocates were pushing for. Um, they argue that it's more effective to um, give it to, to flexible um developments that might be mixed use you might have something in the works that has some market rate uh, apartments but also some rent controlled apartments uh and the idea is that now there is a requirement for 20 percent uh in those larger developments to be affordable
0: it's a it's a very delicate balance because ultimately right now especially with the build-up we've been we're seeing around manchester and portsmouth where so many um like uh chemical and biological, uh, development companies are coming up and trying to expand. There's all sorts of internet based companies that have really developed over the last decade and are looking to expand and move in, um, partly because of the state investing in these areas, partly just, um, Dean Kamen is Dean Kamen and he's not slowing down what he's doing with his companies and it seems like he's gonna be sticking around for a while. We need, we as great as it is to have a lot of affordable income-based housing in the state, we need a lot of that middle income-based housing for sure where people that make, 40 to $90,000 a year have a place to have an affordable apartment or house or whatever if they're going to be enticed to move into the area because like we said before like you can find plenty of stuff that's a half a million dollars but that's not that's not affordable to the this range of educated maybe early on in their career maybe mid career looking to transition to move to a new company to really have accessibility to housing.
1: Yeah. And you, and I think that everybody in both parties are hearing stories from companies that are finding new hires and then finding that those new hires are declining their offers because of a lack of housing. I think that's something that you're seeing, you know, from across the state and from the north to the south. Uh, and so it's anticipated this money is going to be used pretty quickly. Um, what's more what's interesting is to see how many cities and towns take up that side of this and uh and you know what that looks like whether some of them take advantage of the five million dollars that would go towards redeveloping their their zoning ordinances and what that looks like for instance so uh it, it's uh you know but they're expecting to spend all this money within a year
0: so. the demolition part's really interesting and yeah. I, I, it's not something you traditionally hear about around programs like this i mean speaking personally with concord been that employment security building that's just a few blocks away from the stay house has been an eyesore and it's been holding up getting hundreds of housing units put up in on main street of Concord where we've been we've been really desperate to have something that's not over on the Heights and not over in East Concord where you got to have a car to commute and it may open up the ability for public transit and such to have more of an opportunity to make enough business there's so many aspects to rearranging these old towns that you, you really need to start by tearing down certain bits of it
1: yeah definitely so there's a lot to watch is I guess my, my conclusion there
0: moving over to uh the cannabis it looks like there's unfortunately no positive news when it comes to developments in any of that I've had Ross Conley from Americans for Prosperity on my show a couple times and talking about one of the bills around this but what's the latest
1: so the latest
0: is that there
1: are not really any viable paths forward for cannabis legalization in the year 2022. That's after the Senate um, voted down a uh, bill. There were two bill, There were so there were two bills that have been proposed that came before the Senate, uh, and both were voted down. One was a very simple um, legalization of the use and possession of cannabis. At the initially, that bill included the ability to cultivate up to six plants in your home. But that was stripped out in an effort to win more votes. And it did get very close. It was a, uh, an 11 to 13 vote. Um, marijuana legalization proponents were able to um, win over two Manchester Democrats um, Senator. Senator um, Susie and Senator Kavanaugh, uh, who haven't been supportive of legalization, and they did so by taking out the home grow piece, and so it was just a straight legalization. Um, but there was a very passionate debate on the Senate floor, and the Senate has historically, uh, you know, at least for at least the last ten years, been opposed to efforts by the House to legalize. This was probably the, the simplest approach that they they could have had, and they they also rejected that. So it does suggest that there would have to be um some movements uh you know in elections uh in order for this issue to advance similar to what we saw with the death penalty uh I, I remember covering death penalty the death penalty uh what repeal didn't go anywhere until there was an election and then you had um suddenly some anti-death penalty senators voted in i think it's going to the same for cannabis
0: it's it's interesting to see speaking of the death penalty side of things i mean lou del was a strong supporter of of getting rid of new hampshire's death penalty and he turned around and voted this down it's and it comes down to primarily the federal laws and not wanting to go against those because there's risk of funding right
1: yeah i also do think that the um, new hampshire police departments have been very vocal um in the last few years about cannabis and there haven't really been any bills that they've supported there's been all kinds of attempts to find compromises uh and but in the end the uh the police unions and the police departments um uh, are strong on this and they have a lot of sway when it comes to the new hampshire senate and right before the vote uh or the debate before the vote uh last week on this cannabis bill uh there were a number of police chiefs that were introduced uh, as special guests and they were kind of up in the gallery um i think that's that's a piece of this i think also the senate is just um, kind of a different animal than the house um and and it's just sort of traditionally not been in favor of cannabis they often uh tie it to the uh, the um, opioid crisis, as does the governor. Um, and so those dynamics have not shifted uh, even as different approaches have been tried.
0: Yeah, it seems shockingly dated the way that it's talked about here. I mean, it's it, the uh, the gateway drug conversation. Like I, I I had to double take when I read that uh, as some of the opinions of some of the, our leadership in the state, I'm like, this, I thought this is something that we moved past like years ago with a failure of DARE, which just ultimately the numbers show that it increased drug usage, which is obviously not the goal. And uh, we're seeing now, we're still seeing these old terms. I mean, are you seeing the culture of it beginning to shift at all at the Statehouse?
1: Well, what's interesting is that the uh, support for cannabis legalization has never been higher. It hit its highest point, I believe, according to the University of New Hampshire polling in 2021. I think it was about 75 percent and then it dipped slightly down to 74 percent. But it's never been up in the mid 70s. Uh, It's been slowly increasing and it has always been high. But it's only getting um, stronger. Uh, and so, when you ask about the culture, I think that the culture outside the state house is definitely um, slowly changing and getting getting stronger. And uh, you know, that's, I would say seventy five percent is an overwhelming majority on any issue for people. You know, in this day and age, triggering on something. Uh, so that culture is changing. I think that our geographic position, surrounded by um, you know states that have legalized, uh, is affecting that. Um, but in the Senate, that culture still hasn't changed. And I think there's a sense that even if the this might be polling very highly, that it's not a crucial issue for senators, voters and constituents. It's not so much that they would change their long held beliefs. What some of them were actually talking about the polls so you know on the senate floor democrats were arguing that the polls indicate that this is an open and shut case that that kind should be legalized um one republican senator senator regina birdsell from Hampstead, um said as my mother used to say years ago if your friends jumped off a bridge would you jump off with them and she then continued on to say that we don't always listen to the polls um so i think there was a bit of a defiance of that you would think that the basic rules of politics would say if something pulls at 75 percent, you support it. But um, I think that in the Senate, uh, those rules don't always apply. I,
0: I mean, this is kind of just an assumption because of the culture around the fr- the culture with the uh, the free staters that maybe are floating around at the state house at this point is they're very libertarian. Obviously, they're very much for marijuana legalization. Um, or it's are the. Is it a fight versus the more establishment, old school thinkers versus the, the more modern, younger libertarian crew that's maybe not just the freestayers but also on the left? Like, Don't forget the left-wing libertarians are still floating around for sure.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's hard. There's so many different factions, and people have different. Um, you know, there's there's people who are taking the libertarian approach. They've been like that for a while. I think that's a lot. You see a lot more libertarians in the House, and I think that's one reason why this has um, consistently been brought forward in a bipartisan basis from the House, because you have that free that um, kind of freedom party aspect of uh, you know libertarian aspect of the House um, that uh, that helps to bolster democratic support i think you don't get that in the senate so much um you don't really get these little pockets of of libertarians in the same way and so the politics are not there i would say that beyond the libertarian issue of you know this shouldn't be the the government should be saying no to this there's also been a criminal justice justice um, argument and actually that argument has been successful in in persuading some of these senators, for instance, Senator Donna Susi and Senator Kevin Kavanaugh, they live in Manchester. Again, I talked about the police uh, influence. In Manchester, you know, the police department has a lot of influence. Uh, and uh, so the advocates for legalization used a criminal justice approach and pointed out to disparities, racial disparities on who is getting arrested for, for cannabis offenses. Uh, and that argument seems to be Picking up a few more supporters, so you have a bit of a coalition developing. But you know, yeah, it's there's all kinds of uh, of opinions, and there's all kinds of backgrounds that are causing people to have those opinions. And uh, the it's never a clean party line vote, and you can never really predict where it's going.
0: Ethan DeWitt over at the New Hampshire Bulletin. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them. Follow Ethan on Twitter, NH, as well as NH News if you uh, want to get the latest from them on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining me, Ethan. You're listening to WKXL in the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead.